0: Welcome back to The Forge, where we are continuing our study in the book of James. We are on James chapter 5. We are going to be wrapping it up today. Um, and we are going to conclude with a final test, which begins in verse 7. Remember, our approach to the book of James has been um, one of thinking of it in terms of a series of tests or a series of ways that we can examine our own heart. We've had the test of faith, the test of obedience, true religion, brotherly love, good works, the test of the tongue, motivation, submission. Our previous podcast, just previous to this, was the test of trust. And now we are going to talk about the test of patience in suffering, patience in suffering, Suffering, As we near the end of the book, near the end of the book of James, let's take a look at his exhortations here in view of the coming of the Lord Jesus, which we will find in verses 7 through 18. We can clearly see what others have called the wisdom of James. He starts to wrap it up here, but it's more like a summary. And there are three points that James brings out here, three points for us to remember. And I believe these are meant to encourage the believer. So the whole purpose of this letter is centered around a living Savior who is coming again. And that's what we're going to see here. And here we are going to get the final test. The test of patience. Patience in suffering. So number one first point, importance of patience in affliction or patience in suffering. What are we getting out of this? We are to be patient. Our master, the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not delay his coming. Uh, And we're told here that just as a farmer waits for the rain, we are also to wait for the coming of the Lord. We should use this time to establish our hearts, and that is we need to make certain of what we believe and where we stand. And it's okay to ask the question, Am I really born of the Spirit? Or am I self-deceived? Examine yourself. That's what I've been stressing this whole time through the book of James. Examine your heart. You know, I think of Daniel who purposed in his heart to serve the Lord. Daniel did not wait until he was faced with the lion's den to establish his heart at that point. No, that decision was made long before the trial of the lion's den. Um, he had to endure the lion's den. He did not know the end of the story. We know the end of the story because we get to read it. And we know that God closed the mouths of the lions. But Daniel did not know that going into it. And so friends, we need to establish our heart now if you're waiting for the calamity that's going to come and that'll help you determine what side you're on you've already made your choice and it's the wrong choice so as james closes out this letter there is yet another appeal not to grumble against our brothers and still as an encouragement james offers the example of job he talks about job and he lists him among the prophets of old. The book of Job is actually uh, the oldest book in our Bible. And he points to Job because if there was ever a man who was patient in the midst of enduring suffering, it was Job. So James is fully expecting the return of Jesus here. And he even tells us in James chapter five, verse nine, that the judge is at the door. And this is a great verse to consider um, in reference to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. All my life I heard uh, Revelation uh, three twenty used as a salvation verse. And you can look that up. Um, again, we have James in harmony with John the Revelator. Uh, but I always heard Revelation 3, verse 20, as what we would call a salvation verse. And, you know, that is, it would be used to paint the picture of Jesus standing outside the door of your heart, waiting on you to open the door so that the king of all of the creation might have your permission to come in. But when you look at Revelation 3.20 in light of James 5.9, you'll begin to see that What's in view here is judgment. There's not a plea here for you to grant Jesus permission to come into your life. Um, I just am so thankful that God in his mercy and grace toward me opened my eyes to read the scriptures and to understand them. Jesus is not in the position of waiting on you to decide what you are going to do concerning him. The last thing he said before he ascended into heaven was, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. So imagine this king of the universe can do anything he has all authority over everything except there's one thing he cannot do and that is he can't come into your life without your permission it doesn't even make sense no Jesus completed his mission on earth he paid for his people and I assure you that he is going to save his people And he's not going to lose a single one. And he's not waiting on me or you or anybody else to grant him permission to save. He purchased those who are being saved. He purchased those who are his people. And he will not lose a single one. So when you read Revelation 3.20, read it in light of James 5.9. There is a judgment. That is coming, and the warning here is that the judge is about to commence. But notice what James tells us of suffering here. It says plainly here that the Lord intended to do it. God knows the beginning and the end of all things, and this takes us back to the very beginning of the book where we are to count on all joy for the trials that we face. It is for my good and his glory there's not a thing i'm going to face as a believer in jesus christ that is not intended by god just like god intended it for job and so we move to the second point that i want to bring out to us here we have a call to prayer and a call to sing praises to god In the midst of whatever it is I may be suffering through, I am to pray. And we're even to be joyful and to sing praises to God. In verses 14 through 15, James gives directions concerning the sick. We are exhorted here to pray for the sick. This passage reflects back to uh, what we read in Uh, The very first chapter in verse five and six, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask, ask for God to give you wisdom. And when this God given wisdom is implanted, what does it do? It saves the soul. Now, James is saying that if someone is sick, they're to call the elders together and pray. And the anointing of oil here uh, is, I believe, symbolic of the power and presence of God, um, but it was also used in ancient times for healing, uh, for, um, you know, cleaning wounds and, um, e- and we even use this today in the form of, I've heard people say lotions and potions, but we put things on the skin. Uh, we put things, we have oils and salves and things like this, Neosporin ointment, if you will. And what do these things do? Well, they bring healing now i'm from a background where it was not uncommon for the pastor of the church to place a small little drop of oil in fact when i was a child i really did not understand it but there would be a small little bottle of um, olive oil on or near the altar in the front of the church and the pastor would put a small drop of oil on his finger and then apply it to the forehead of the person that he was praying for and while there's nothing inherently wrong with that practice, um, and I believe it really, as James tells us over and over, um, it comes down to a condition of the heart. And we know that in the Old Testament, the anointing of oil was a, present, a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But what's in view here is um, probably more of the healing aspect of the oil but regardless these things are minor these things are trivial um and if someone wants to uh, place a drop of olive oil on the forehead of someone and, and lay hands on them and pray for them i am certainly not opposed to that in any way but um i would like to make a little comment here about the phrase that we find here it says if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. Um, To be clear, you're not forgiven of your sins when the elders come and pray over you, whether they use oil or not. Um, The idea here is that there would be a healing that would take place in the name of the Lord Jesus, and a person would be foolish not to recognize the source of the power of the healing and then they recognize that source, but they don't surrender their life to the king, Jesus. When you've experienced Jesus uh, firsthand and you um, are a personal witness to his healing power, it's just it is idiocy to reject him. Yet we see throughout the gospels that this is, ex- is exactly what happened. People saw the signs, but they rejected Christ. The Pharisees went so far as to claim that Jesus' work was powered by the devil. And certainly that was not the case. The signs were there that they would believe, that they would recognize, that these were the signs which were prophesied that the Messiah would do. And so that's what's in reference here. Um, When you ask the elders to pray, they pray for you. You are healed. Um, It's time to receive Christ and be forgiven of your sins. So in verses 16 through 18, we see the power of righteous prayer. And I've heard it stated like this. We need to keep short accounts with God and a short account with each other. It's foolish to think that you're going to have righteous prayer um, when you have trespasses um, against your brother and ultimately against God. Once again, we're given the example of a prophet of old, Elijah. His prayers aligned with God's word according to 1 Kings chapter 17. Prayer aligned with God's word does what? It avails much. Or in the old King James, we would say the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Much. And this gets back to what James was talking about when he says, What we are asking in our prayers, we are asking amiss. So, the last point here, as we come near the end of James chapter 5, and thus the end of the entire book, there's a conclusion that happens here in verses 19 through 20. And that is simply this James calls us to join his. Mission. So we are to have patience and suffering, but we're called by James to come and join the mission. This is the final point. This is the conclusion that he is leaving with us. We are to do what? Reach out to the brother or the sister who has fallen down. Perhaps they've lost their way a little bit. Now, this isn't judgment. This is coming alongside of them. We might call it backsliding or they've lost their moral compass. You know, there are times even for the believer that we do not want to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because it's easier to reject God's wisdom and follow (laughs) the path that James lays out for us back in chapter 1. You remember in in chapter 1, james lays out this path and what does he say he says we're drawn away by our own desire and then we're enticed and then when it's fully conceived it brings on sin and when sin comes to maturity what does it do it brings death so the real wisdom of james then is clarified by these practical final words of hope We can be made wise by God if we ask him. He has given us the instructions for salvation. And because of this, we can help those fallen believers who may have lost their way a little bit. They need to repent and they need to be restored. This final exhortation of James should not be divorced from the theme of the book. And what is the theme of the book? is that we are to meet trials and sufferings in faith with patience, and that as we work out all of these issues, we do so through prayer and seeking the wisdom of God, which is found in the Bible. So with that, we conclude the book of James. This is a relatively short podcast. I will follow it up with some final thoughts on the book as a whole. Until we meet again in the world of podcasting, may God bless you, and I sincerely hope as always that this is an encouragement to you, that as you listen, that you grow in Christ.